The Substitute by Charles Spurgeon. The whole pith and marrow of the religion of Christianity lies directly in the doctrine of substitution. And I do not hesitate to affirm my conviction that a very large proportion of Christians are not Christians at all. For they do not understand the fundamental doctrine of the Christian creed. And alas, there are preachers who do not preach or even believe this essential truth. They speak of the blood of Jesus in an indistinct kind of way and talk about the death of Christ in a hazy style of poetry, but they do not strike this now on the head and lay it down that the way of salvation is by Christ becoming a substitute for the guilty man. Sin is an accursed thing. God, from the necessity of his holiness, must curse it. He must punish men for committing sin. But the Lord Christ, the glorious Son of the everlasting Father, became a man and suffered in his own proper person the curse which was due to the sons of men, so that by a vicarious offering God, having been just in punishing sin, could extend his bounteous mercy towards those who believe in the substitute. But you inquire, how was Jesus Christ a curse? The answer is, he redeemed us, being made a curse for us. Christ was no curse in himself. In his person, he was spotlessly innocent and nothing of sin could belong personally to him. In him was no sin. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 There must never be supposed to be any degree of blameworthiness or fault in the person or character of Christ as he stands as an individual. He is in that very respect without spot or wrinkle. He is the immaculate lamb of God's Passover. Nor, nor was Christ made a curse out of necessity. There was no necessity for him ever to suffer the curse. No necessity except that which his own loving pledge created. His own intrinsic holiness kept him from sin. And that same holiness kept him from the curse. You see, he was made sin for us. For Christians. Not on his own account. Not with any view to himself, but wholly because he loved us and chose to put himself in the place which we ought to have occupied. He was made a curse for us, not out of any personal necessity, but because he had voluntarily undertaken to be the covenant head of his people and to be their representative. And 
as their representative to therefore bear the curse which was due to them. Now, I want to be very clear here because very strong expressions have been used by those who hold the great truth which I am endeavouring to preach. Strong expressions which have conveyed the truth they meant to convey, but also a great deal more. For example, Martin Luther prized the epistle to the Galatians so much that he called it his Catherine von Bora. That was the name of his beloved wife and he gave his book the name of the dearest one that he knew. But in his book on that epistle, he says plainly, but be reassured he did not mean what he said to be literally understood, that Jesus Christ was the greatest sinner that ever lived. That all of the sins of man were so laid upon Christ that he became all the thieves and murderers and adulterers that ever wore in one. Now, he meant this, that God treated Christ as if he had been a great sinner, as if he had been all of the sinners in the world in one. And such language teaches that truth very plainly. But Luther-like in his boisterousness, he overshoots his mark and leaves room that he has almost spoken blasphemy against the blessed person of our Lord. Now, Christ never was and never could be a sinner. And in his person and in his character, in himself considered, he never could be anything but well-beloved of God and blessed forever and well pleasing in Yahweh's sight so that when we say today that he was made a curse we must lay stress on these words that he was made a curse constituted a curse set as a curse and then again we must emphasize those other words for us not on his own account at all but entirely out of his love to us that we might be redeemed. He stood in the sinner's place and was reckoned to be a sinner and treated as a sinner and made a curse for us. How was Christ made a curse? In the first place he was made a curse because of all the sins of his people were actually laid upon him. He made him to be sin for us. And let me quote from Isaiah. The Lord have laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53 verse 6. And yet another statement from the same prophet. For he shall bear their iniquities. Isaiah 53 verse 11. The sins of God's people were lifted from off them and passed on to Christ. And their sins were looked upon as if Christ had committed them. He was regarded as if he had been the sinner. Surely, surely it was that horror that made him sweat great drops of blood when he saw and felt that God was beginning to treat him as if he had been a sinner. The holy soul of Christ shrank with deepest agony from the slightest contact with sin. So pure and perfect was our Lord that never an evil thought had crossed his mind. Nor had his soul been stained by the glances of evil. And yet, he stood in God's sight 
a sinner. And therefore a solemn horror fell upon his soul. He began to be made a curse for us, nor did he cease till he had suffered all the penalty which was due on our account. We have been made accustomed to divide the penalty into two parts. The penalty of loss and the penalty of actual suffering. Christ endured both of these. It was due to sinners that they should lose God's favour and presence and therefore Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was due to sinners that they should lose all personal comfort. Christ was deprived of every consolation and and even the last rag of clothing was torn from him and he was left like Adam, naked and forlorn. It was necessary that the soul should lose everything that could sustain it. And so Christ lost every comfortable thing. He looked and there was no man to pity or help. He was made to cry, but I am a worm and no man a reproach of men and despised by the people. As for the second part of the punishment, an actual infliction of suffering. Our Lord endured this also to the extreme. You have often read the story of his bodily sufferings. Take care that you never depreciate them. There was an amount of physical pain endured by our Saviour which his body could never have borne unless it had been sustained and strengthened by union with his Godhead. Yet, the sufferings of his soul was the soul of his sufferings. That soul of his endured a torment equivalent to hell itself. The punishment that was due to the wicked was that of hell and though Christ did not suffer hell he suffered an equivalent for it and now can your minds conceive what that must have been it was an anguish never to be measured an agony never to be comprehended it is to God and God alone that his grief was fully known the Greek liturgy puts it well vine unknown sufferings for They must forever remain beyond human imagination. The consequences are that he has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Those for whom Christ died are forever free from the curse of the law. For when the law comes to curse a man who believes in Christ, he says, What have I to do with you, O law? You say, I will curse you, but I reply, You have cursed Christ instead of me. Can you curse twice for one offence? And then the law is silence. Paid in full. God's law having received all it can demand is not so unrighteous as to demand anything more. All that God can demand of a believing sinner, Christ has already paid. And there is no voice in earth or heaven that can accuse a soul that believes in Jesus after that. You were in debt, but a friend paid your debt. No writ can be served on you. It does not matter that you did not pay it. 
it's paid. You have the receipt. That is sufficient in any court. So all of the penalty that was due to us has been borne by Christ. It is true. I have not borne it. I have not been to hell and suffered the full wrath of God. But Christ has suffered that wrath for me. And I am as clear and free as if I had paid the debt to God and suffered his wrath. Here is a glorious bottom to rest upon. Here is a rock upon which to lay the foundation of eternal comfort. Let a man get to this truth. My Lord outside the city's gate bled for me as my surety. And on the cross he discharged my debt. Why then, great God, I no longer fear your thunder. How can you condemn me now? You have exhausted the quiver of your wrath. Every arrow has already been used against my Lord. And I am in him clear and clean, absolved and delivered, as if I had never sinned. He hath redeemed us, says the text. How often I have heard certain gentry of a modern school of theology sneer at the atonement because they charge us with the notion of its being a sort of business transaction. I do not hesitate to say that this metaphor rightly expresses God's view of redemption for we find it so in scripture. The atonement is a ransom. That is to say that a price paid and in the present case the original word is more than unusually expressive. It is a payment for, a price instead of. Jesus in his sufferings performed what may be forcibly and fitly described as the payment of a ransom. The giving to justice for what was due on our behalf for our sins. Christ suffered what we ought to have suffered. The sins that were ours were made his. He stood as a sinner in God's sight Though not a sinner in himself, he was punished as a sinner. And he died as a sinner upon the tree of the curse. You have only to trust Christ and you shall live. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ has delivered us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. He who believes no longer has a curse upon him. He sees an innocent man and regards his sins as having been laid on the Redeemer and punished in Jesus as he died on the tree. If you believe in Christ, though you are one of the most damnable wretches who has ever polluted the earth, you shall not have a sin remaining on you after believing. God will look at you as pure, for your sin shall be put on the scapegoat, even Christ, and carried away into forgetfulness. Put away your accursed and idolatrous dependence upon yourself. Christ has finished salvation work, altogether finished it. Please do not hold your rags in competition with his fair white linen. Christ has borne the curse. Do not bring your pitiful penances and your tears all full of filth to mingle with the precious fountain flowing with his blood. Lay down what is your own and come and take what is Christ's. 
put away now everything that you have thought of being or doing by way of winning acceptance with God. Instead, humble yourselves and take Jesus Christ to be the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and end of your salvation. And if you do this, not only will you be saved, but you are saved. Rest, O weary one, for your sins are forgiven. Rise, you lame man, lame through want of faith, for your transgression is covered. Rise from the dead, you corrupt one. Rise like Lazarus from the tomb, for Jesus calls you. Believe and live.